We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 228 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, January 13th, 2022. It is nice to be with you as we are rapidly approaching the second ever super wildcard weekend in the NFL. Remember, it is no longer wildcard weekend. It is a super wildcard weekend because we now have six games on wildcard weekend. And this year, for the first time, we have a Monday night game on wildcard weekend. The NFL is king, uh, not just of the sports landscape in this country, but of the television landscape in this country. So if the NFL says we're doing a wildcard game on Monday night, the NFL is doing a wildcard game on Monday night. But did you happen to see this? The NFL on Wednesday announced that the 2021 NFL regular season averaged 17 point one million viewers. That's TV and digital highest regular season average since 2015, up 10% from 2020. Remember, not that long ago, we had some people predicting that the concussion craze would spell the end of the NFL, or at the very least would severely damage the NFL. Uh, remember when NFL television ratings dipped in 2016 and 2017, and people thought that the kneeling during national anthems was eating away at the NFL's television audience, and that the increased attention on politics in this country was damaging the NFL. Look, there may well have been at least some truth with that stuff, but here we are now, just a few years later, and the NFL is dominating television like perhaps never before. During the 2021 NFL regular season, NFL games ranked as 48 of the top 50 and 91 of the top 100 telecasts on television. 48 of the top 50, 91 of the top 100. That, my friends, is dominance. Hello and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Unfortunately, our team, the Washington football team, will not be competing on Super Wildcard Weekend. Not this year. Uh, last year, we did have our team competing on Super 
Wild Card Weekend. Look, the offseason is our team's postseason, okay? Our team does its best work in March, not January. Uh, I'm going to spend some time with you on this installment of the podcast on our team, exploring something that came up a decent amount during the season-ending State of the Team press conference on Tuesday afternoon for Washington football team head coach Rod Rivera and Washington football team general manager Martin Mayhew. And that something is the quality of Washington's roster beyond quarterback. We know the deal of quarterback. Washington this offseason quite clearly is engineering an all-out search for a franchise quarterback. But what about the rest of the roster? Is it good enough to where if a franchise quarterback is acquired, the team is good to go? Rod Rivera says yes. I'm going to talk about this next segment. Now, something that I think most of us, although maybe not all of us, would agree is a particular strength of the Washington football team is the offensive line. Uh, Something came out on Wednesday further confirming the quality of Washington's offensive line. I'm going to talk about that coming up in the not just good season that Washington's offensive line had in the 2021 regular season, but the great season that Washington's offensive line had in the 2021 regular season. This is something that every Washington fan needs to be aware of. I'll also discuss a key member of that Washington offensive line, Brendan Sheriff, and how we sure seem to be experiencing the Kirk Cousins contract saga all over again, given something that Martin Mayhew said on Tuesday. Also on the show, I'll post-game a busy night of basketball on Wednesday night. I'll talk Wizards off a 112-106 win over the Orlando Magic at Capital One Arena as Thomas Bryant made his season debut. I'll talk Maryland off a crazy, off a cray-cray, 94-87 double overtime win at Northwestern. And I'll talk Virginia and Virginia Tech as the Cavaliers, shall we say, outslugged the Hokies 54-52 at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville. Oh, by the way, uh, if you're a Nationals fan, the latest installment of the Nats podcast that I do with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of BassInSports.com, Nats Chat, uh, is out as of Thursday morning. We talked about some recent Nats news. We talked about the ongoing lockout, and we had a really good conversation with a special guest, ESPN MLB writer and analyst Tim Kirkjian, who is the 2022 winner of the BBWAA Career Excellence Award, with which he'll be honored during the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum's induction weekend, July 22nd through the 25th in Cooperstown, New York. You know, baseball's quiet right now with the lockout, but we actually had a lot to talk about. So if you are a Nats fan, or even just a baseball fan, uh, check out the Nats Chat Podcast. You can find that wherever you get a podcast, just like you can find this podcast wherever you get a podcast. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Ian on the Washington football team. Writes Ian, I'm a huge fan of the show. I am currently emailing from Switzerland on vacation. I just wanted to share a few thoughts now that the WFT season is finished. Uh, First, I think most fans, myself included, came into this season with expectations much higher that were ultimately realistic. The schedule turned out to be much more brutal than I gave it credit for. We played 10 games against playoff opponents. For reference, we played a total of five games against playoff teams last year. I thought we could win 10 or more games and a playoff game, but most neutral pundits said we were an 8-9 slash 9-8 team. 538 had us at 8-9 during the preseason. Given the number of injuries, COVID problems, and off-the-field events that occurred this season, I don't think 7-10 is as bad as it seems when we were projected to go 8-9. 
I am disappointed that this team did not perform better this year. I don't think we're bad, but we are missing a difference maker, parentheses, quarterback, or some other facet of the team that can make up for mistakes that naturally occur in NFL games to make us elite. We have to remember if the ball bounces another way or we make a few kicks, we might be looking at a 10-win team this year. I think we are in a good position for next year. First, our schedule is significantly easier. Second, we are fifth in cap space entering next year to hopefully re-sign Terry McLaurin and others. And lastly, we are slotted with the 11th pick in the draft, still good enough to get a decent player. Uh, Thank you for the email, Ian. Well done. Well thought out. Uh, You make a very good point about the number of playoff opponents that Washington faced in the 2021 regular season. 10 of Washington's 17 games in the 2021 regular season were against teams that ended up making the playoffs. I'm not sure how aware people are of that. 10 of 17, uh, two games against the Dallas Cowboys, two games against the Philadelphia Eagles, and the games against the Los Angeles Chargers, Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, Green Bay Packers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Las Vegas Raiders. 10 of Washington's 17 games in the 2021 regular season were against teams that ended up making the playoffs. And Washington, over those 10 games, went just 2-8. and eight. You know, your schedule matters so much in the NFL. Uh, obviously, it matters how good you are, but it also matters who you play. And note this, and this is something that I haven't heard anyone make mention of, okay? But I'm going to mention it on this podcast. The Washington football team in the 2021 regular season played the hardest schedule in the NFL per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Yeah, if you go by average DVOA of opponent, no team in the NFL in the 2021 regular season played a tougher schedule than Washington did. For comparison's sake, Washington in the 2020 regular season played the fifth easiest schedule in the NFL per DVOA. So you tell me, which season is more impressive? Going 7-9 and nine against the fifth easiest schedule in the NFL, and yes, winning the NFC East, which was atrocious, or going 7-10 and 10 against the hardest schedule in the NFL? I know which season felt better. Obviously, the 2020 season felt better, but put aside your feelings, all right? Get out of your feelings and just look at this thing objectively. Which season is better, the 2020 season or the 2021 season? The answer is the 2021 season. And yes, neither season is some great season. And yes, there definitely were some things about Washington's 2021 season that were off-putting, especially the decline of the defense. But I do think that we all need to calm down with how bad Washington's 2021 season was. Email from Andy. Subject, rhyming keys to a successful rebrand. Uh-oh. <laughs> Writes Andy. First of all, let me say how much I enjoy your podcast. I honestly can't imagine trying to navigate Washington fandom without your insightful analysis. Jeez, thank you, Andy. Uh, I have been a fan for over 50 years, along with my 18-year-old son, who unfortunately has had to suffer through what seems like interminable mediocrity. And without further ado, I present my rhyming keys for a successful rebrand. Keep in mind, these rhymes are not meant to be good. While fans took to Red Wolves and Defenders real quick, seems like multi-syllabic Commanders was Danny Boy's pick. Commanders will cause kids to cry to their mommies. 
when coupled with red uniforms, will be nicknamed the Commies. When choosing a cool logo, here's a great place to start. Maybe don't use a W that looks like clip art. Please tell me the branding hints and leaks aren't a done deal, or the official launch could resemble that of the Homer Mobile. Dan, you've taken our winning, our tradition, our pride. We've watched as our franchise and fandom have died. Please listen to us. Give the fans' opinions a shot. Don't take away our hope for a cool new brand, because hope's all we got. Wow. Terrific job, Andy. You know, those weren't rhyming keys. That was a full-fledged poem, okay? That was poetry. That was William Shakespeare-esque. That was Robert Frost-esque. That was Maya Angelou-esque. Commanders does continue to feel like the new name. We'll see. But there was that freeze frame making the rounds on social media of Jason Wright having a piece of paper on the armrest portion of a chair on which he was sitting in the paper has a logo for Commanders. Uh, The logo is a very busy logo. There's a lot going on with that logo, but maybe that was a swerve. Maybe Washington purposely wanted that photo out there so that people would think that Commanders is going to be the new name, and then we all get stunned on February 2nd on 2.2.22. Uh, I don't hate Commanders. I could live with Commanders. My only problem with Commanders, as I've said, is there not being an obvious, truly good, one-syllable nickname for that name. Well, we may not have an obvious, truly good, one-syllable nickname for the name Commanders, if that is the name, but always know that you do have the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. Paulson and Nace fights for the rights and futures of victims and their families throughout Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. When you are injured because of someone else's negligence, you may experience feelings of anger, anxiety, frustration. Choosing the right law firm to help you can be overwhelming, right? How do you know whom to trust? How do you know that you'll be protected? Well, it's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. He's a big Washington football team fan, big listener of this podcast. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Call Paulson and Nace and see what Paulson and Nace can do for you. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and see what it can do for you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yes, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. There's no pressure or anything like that. You're obligated to nothing. Just call 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. All right, so Tuesday afternoons, Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, joint season-ending state of the Washington football team press conference featured multiple themes. One of the bigger themes was Ron talking up Washington's roster. Now, Ron didn't go out of his way to talk up Washington's roster. In other words, he didn't do this unsolicited. He got asked about the roster, but Ron multiple times spoke highly of where Washington's roster is at regarding 
the roster beyond the quarterback position. We'll start with this. So something that has been said regarding Washington's quest for a franchise quarterback, and this is something that was said by Ron Rivera in the 2021 offseason, is that one viable approach for a franchise quarterback needy team is to build up the non-quarterback portions of the roster and then get the franchise quarterback. Now, to me, there is an inherent flaw with this thinking in that you can't just schedule when you get a franchise quarterback. It's not like you just decide to get a franchise quarterback and then you go to the franchise quarterback store and get a franchise quarterback. You have to wait for the right opportunity for a franchise quarterback. And whenever that opportunity comes, you have to pounce on that opportunity, no matter where you are from a roster standpoint, because who knows when the opportunity to get a franchise quarterback will come again. But with that said, here were Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew on Tuesday afternoon on if they feel that Washington's roster is ready for a franchise quarterback. We feel very good about our roster. We do. We we like the things that we've done and um, we like the guys that we have. You know, we we feel there are a couple spots that we most certainly do feel we need to uh, upgrade, uh, but just a few. And so, again, putting ourselves in the right type of situation, uh, I think, is what we're doing. I would agree with that. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Uh, selectively aggressive, making the right decision, when to be aggressive. But uh, certainly there'll come a time when there's time to do that. All right. Now, obviously, Ron Rivera wasn't going to openly trash his roster, but he said, quote, we feel very good about our roster, end quote. Here were Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew later in the press conference on Tuesday afternoon on whether the non-quarterback portions of Washington's offense are good enough to be able to thrive with a franchise quarterback. I think if, we, if we're fortunate enough to, 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 to find that guy, identify that guy, and have that guy on our football team, yes. And, and I think our, our personnel is more than good enough. Again, I'm optimistic. I believe in me. I uh, believe in our team. I uh, believe in you know what we can be. Yes, it, it does. Uh, and and I'll point to the fact that a couple you know our our first season here, when we we moved some people around, and Alex Smith came in, and we really saw that. We saw that development and growth, and and that to me is what a good quarterback can do for you, is he elevates the play of the people around him. You know, he manages the games. He he he, he distributes the ball. And when needed, and make plays, and 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 that's what you look for. That's what you got to have. Um, to your question, yeah, that that's 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 exactly what he does. That's the perfect answer. I mean, um, as we talked about, quarterback is the most important position on the field. You know, he is going to elevate the other players around him, uh, and having a good quarterback helps your defense as well. So, that's going to be a key decision. It's something we've been talking about for months now, and uh, and we will get it done. And to your question earlier about about um, the offensive line, that, that's a that, that that to me is is it's is hand in hand because again, if you're running the ball successfully, you, you're you're also taking pressure off of him. You know, now the play action pass means a little bit more. The the, the drop back passing there's a little bit more time because a little bit more hesitancy up front. So again, you know, this being the ultimate game team game, that that that's you know the impact of, of all that together. All right, so there was a lot in that cut, but in that cut was Ron Rivera, again, on Tuesday afternoon, talking up the state of Washington's roster. Not saying that the roster is elite, but saying that the roster is good enough to be able to shoulder its portion of the load should Washington have a franchise quarterback. Well, is Ron right? Is it true 
that Washington's roster is good enough to where if the team gets itself a franchise quarterback, the team can thrive? Well, I would answer that question by saying a few things. First of all, define thrive. Is Washington's roster good enough to where if the team gets itself a franchise quarterback, the team can make the playoffs and win a game or two? Uh, Yes, I do believe that. Is Washington's roster good enough to where if the team gets itself a franchise quarterback, the team can win a Super Bowl? No, the roster isn't that good. And here's the thing. Many, if not most, NFL rosters are good enough to where if the team has itself a franchise quarterback, the team can make the playoffs and win a game, maybe two. This is because a franchise quarterback is so valuable and means so much more than anything else in the NFL. The ultimate example of this to me with Washington is the 2012 team. Robert Griffin III in his 2012 rookie season was a franchise quarterback. Now, he obviously didn't last as a franchise quarterback, but he in the 2012 regular season played like a franchise quarterback. RG3 in the 2012 regular season led all qualified NFL players in yards per pass attempt and yards per rush. That's incredible when you think about that. And so Washington in the 2012 regular season went 10-6, and and won the NFC East, despite having a very pedestrian group of skill position players. Now, Alfred Morris was great as a rookie that season, that's true, but RG3 in 2012 was throwing passes to the likes of Joshua Morgan, and Leonard Hankerson, and Aldrick Robinson, and Logan Paulson. All due respect to those guys, especially Logan, who was a friend of the Al Galdi podcast, but, you know, this wasn't exactly a murderer's row of pass catchers for RG3 in 2012. Yes, Washington had Pierre Garçon. That was his first season with Washington, but Pierre only played in 10 regular season games in the 2012 season due to a toe injury. Uh, Yes, Washington had Santana Moss, and he had a good season, but he was no longer a starter. 2012 was Santana's age 33 season. RG3 in 2012 elevated a mediocre cast of offensive players to greatness and made up for a defense that was, you know, okay but was far from special. Compare Washington's 2012 roster with Washington's roster right now. The roster right now is better. If you could somehow drop a quarterback onto Washington who played at a franchise quarterback level, there's not a doubt in my mind that Washington would be a playoff team and would be capable of doing damage in the playoffs. The value of quarterback in the NFL can't be overstated. Pro Football Focus has developed its version of war, wins above replacement. It's a funny thing to look at because pretty much all of the players with high PFF wars are quarterbacks. The positional value of quarterback is so much higher than all other positional values that you end up just getting a bunch of quarterbacks when you look at the highest war players in the NFL. Tom Brady's PFF war for the 2021 regular season was 4.71. Jonathan Taylor's PFF war for the 2021 regular season was less than 0.5. For all of the talk that Jonathan Taylor could be NFL MVP, his PFF war, to whatever extent you want to value PFF war, is dwarfed by Tom Brady's PFF war. Why? because the value of quarterback blows away the value of any other position in the NFL. Of course, the problem is that getting 
a franchise quarterback is hard. But when I look at Washington, position group by position group, I look at the team this way. The offensive line is good. The overall work of the offensive line in the 2021 regular season was really good. Uh, More on that next segment. Uh, The receivers overall are mediocre, but they include a stud in Terry McLaurin, and a healthy Curtis Samuel could make the receivers overall good. The tight ends are good if Logan Thomas is healthy, and that's a big if with Logan having suffered the torn ACL in the win at the Las Vegas Raiders in Week 13, but John Bates had a really nice rookie season. The running backs are good. Antonio Gibson had a 2021 regular season that was mixed, but there was enough good to be encouraged. Uh, J.D. McKissick is good, though he's entering being an unrestricted free agent this offseason. The defensive line is good. Uh, Not as good as we hoped, but the defensive line overall is good. The linebackers are bad. Uh, Cole Holcomb's good, but the rest of the unit is a problem. The corners are bad. Although Kendall Fuller had a good 2021 regular season, and things will change for the better if William Jackson III has a better second season as compared to his first season with Washington. So right now you have to say the corners are not good, but there is promise with the corners. The safeties are good. Cameron Curl is good. Bobby McCain came on as the 2021 regular season went on, though he's entering being an unrestricted free agent this offseason. You feel very good about the offensive line in no small part because of the offensive line coach, John Matsko. You remain hopeful about the defensive line just because the talent remains impressive, even though the overall production has not been. You don't love Washington at any other position group, but there's enough good or at least promise at every other position group, perhaps with the exception of linebacker, to where you can at least have reasonable hope. Washington's roster is far from great and needs to get better, but Washington's roster isn't trash. If you remove quarterback from the conversation and give Washington's roster an overall grade, that grade is what? C? Maybe C plus, maybe C minus, but whatever it is, you can work with that. You know, if you're in that range of a C, you can work with that, a middle of the pack NFL roster. The problem is that Washington's roster isn't great enough to carry the quarterback or to make up for lackluster play at quarterback. The plan that Ron Rivera talked about last offseason of building up the rest of the roster and then dropping in the quarterback That plan did not pan out from a standpoint of the roster being good enough to be appealing enough for, say, an Aaron Rodgers to want to come to Washington, at least we don't think, and or did not pan out from a standpoint of the roster being good enough to overcome mediocre to bad quarterback play. When Taylor Heineke played poorly in the 2021 regular season, Washington lost and often lost decisively. You know, the games for the most part weren't close because nothing matters more than quarterback. And so when the quarterback play was bad, Washington was bad, especially considering that the rest of Washington's roster wasn't good enough to overcome the bad quarterback play. But the roster is good enough to do its part if the quarterback play becomes much improved. And the best way to have much improved quarterback play is to get a franchise quarterback. The issue, of course, is can Washington get a franchise quarterback in the 2022 offseason? And that is, by far, the number one football storyline for Washington over the next few months. Now, when it comes to which Washington position group is the best on the team, Which Washington position group is the position group that is, shall we say, most ready for a franchise quarterback? The answer to me 
is the offensive line. Something came out on Wednesday regarding Washington's offensive line that every Washington fan should be aware of. I'll get to that and a surprising statement from Martin Mayhew on a key member of Washington's offensive line, Brandon Sheriff, after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I started off last segment by saying that there were a number of themes during the Ron Rivera-Martin Mayhew joint season-ending state of the Washington football team press conference on Tuesday afternoon. One of the themes, which we talked about last segment, was Ron Rivera saying that Washington's roster is good enough to be able to shoulder its portion of the load should Washington have a franchise quarterback. Another theme, and this is a theme that's been going on for a while now, was Ron talking up. Washington's offensive line. And whereas we can debate just how good Washington's roster beyond the quarterback position is, what really can't be debated is whether Washington's offensive line had a good 2021 regular season. Washington's offensive line had a great 2021 regular season. Sam Monson, lead NFL analyst for Pro Football Focus and a multi-time guest on the Al Galdi podcast, wrote an article for PFF that came out on Wednesday. The article was a ranking of the offensive lines for the NFL's 2021 regular season. Washington's offensive line was number six. Yes, number six. Washington, for the 2021 regular season, had the number six offensive line in the NFL. This despite so many guys missing so much time. The starting right tackle, Samuel Cosme, missed eight games. The starting right guard, the two-time franchise tag recipient, Brandon Sheriff, missed six games. Washington's fourth string center, Keith Ismail, started five of Washington's last six games due to injury and absence as Washington 
ended its 2021 regular season with the team's top three centers, Chase Roulier, Tyler Larson, and Wes Schweitzer on the reserve injured list. And yet, Washington for the 2021 regular season had the number six offensive line in the NFL per PFF. Wrote Sam Monson about Washington's offensive line, quote, Washington's offense should have been far better than it was this season, given the platform the team was getting from its offensive line. There was no weak link on the unit, especially in pass protection, and even the players who replaced injured starters acquitted themselves well. The dynamics did shift a little with those injuries. Samuel Cosme, Wes Schweitzer, and Chase Roulier earned the three best PFF run blocking grades, but each missed significant time, and their replacements were better pass blockers than run blockers. End quote. I agree, especially with that first thing that Sam said there. Quote, Washington's offense should have been far better than it was this season, given the platform the team was getting from its offensive line, end quote. Uh, this is 100% true, and we understand some of the reasons for why Washington's offense wasn't better in the 2021 regular season. You know, uh, the subpar quarterback play at times, the drops, Antonio Gibson's fumbling and lack of vision at times, the injuries. But overall, when you have an offensive line that has a great season, you really need to capitalize on that. And Washington, for whatever reasons, did not do that in the 2021 regular season. And if you think that this PFF number six overall ranking of Washington's offensive line is some singular positive ranking for Washington's offensive line, uh, think again. Washington also finished the 2021 regular season at number nine in the NFL in team pass block win rate per ESPN at 63%. Washington finished the 2021 regular season at number one in the NFL in team run block win rate per ESPN at 75%. Washington finished the 2021 regular season at number three in the NFL in power success rate per football outsiders at 77%. Power success rate is the percentage of successful third and fourth down runs requiring no more than two yards for a first down or a touchdown. Washington finished the 2021 regular season number six in the NFL in lowest stuffed rate for football outsiders at 15%. Stuffed rate is the percentage of carries by running backs for no gain or negative yardage. These stats that I just took you through are some of the best metrics out there for evaluating offensive line play, which granted isn't easy to evaluate. And yet, in every one of these metrics, Washington was top 10, if not top 5. This was Ron Rivera on Tuesday afternoon on whether Washington's offensive line is at the point to where the offensive line can be a part of a great offense, no matter who the quarterback and skill position players are. I think it's solid. I really do. I think it's very sound. Um, And it probably could. You know, in in light of a lot of things that happen, and, and as I said, you know, playing with, 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 with the guys that, you know, basically were your fourth option, um, you feel pretty good about it. Uh, and, and I don't think it would be just them alone. Um, I think the running backs will have something to say about it. Um, I think tight end is a position that, that, that can be very good for us if we're healthy. Um, to me, it's really about the unit and the team itself. If, if we are, you know, doing some good things well, you know, if we're running the ball well, 
and everybody's doing their job. And, and, and by that, I mean not just the offensive line blocking people at the tight end involved with it, um, the wide receivers blocking downfield. Uh, running it, we could run it very effectively. One of the things that we noticed and one of the things that I had our analytics guy look at was during that four-game stretch, you know, from, 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 from Tampa to Seattle, or excuse me, to, 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 to Vegas, those four wins. Um, the thing that was most, most impressive to me that stood out the most was we ran the ball six more times a game than we normally do on average. And during that period, you know, we obviously gained more yards. We had shorter third down situations. And when you watch those tapes and you watch some of those runs we had, it was exactly that. It wasn't just the offensive line moving people out of the way. It was the tight ends involved in the running game. It was the wide receivers blocking, but it was the runners. And so that made things better for us. So if we can get, you know, have the guys that, that we have and get those guys back and get those guys going again and, 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 and continue to watch Antonio develop, get a healthy JD out there, um, you know, and, 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 and really, you know, keep things rolling. We have a, we have a very good chance. I, I like our guys. I do. And I think it, it could not just, again, not just them, but just the, the fact that playing a physical brand of football speaks well to what we can be. Speaks, I think it speaks more volumes. Because it helps. It takes a lot of pressure off the quarterback having to do things. Um, it takes a lot of pressure off the defense. Because um, it keeps them off the field. I mean, if you figure six plays is going to average about two and a half minutes, six running plays, that's two and a half less minutes that the other opponent's offense will be out there and your defense will be on the bench resting. Yeah. Now, some of what Ron Rivera got into there was a bit misleading. As I talked about during Washington's four-game winning streak, Washington during the four-game winning streak was running the ball so much because Washington was leading in games. And Washington was leading in games primarily because of the improved defense and the efficient quarterback play of Taylor Heineke. So Washington running the ball so much during the four-game winning streak was, in essence, a function of the four-game winning streak, not the cause of the four-game winning streak. But Washington's running game most certainly was a factor during the four-game winning streak. And if you want to play a physical brand of football as Ron Rivera does, that starts with your offensive line. And Washington's offensive line in the 2021 regular season for a second consecutive season was a surprising positive. You can't say enough about Washington's offensive line coach, John Matsko. Uh, He, to me, is Washington's best offensive line coach Since the greatest offensive line coach in franchise history, if not NFL history, Joe Bugle. Of all of Ron Rivera's Carolina Panthers imports, John Matsko may be the best. Now, as for a key cog on Washington's offensive line, Brandon Sheriff. Brandon Scherf. Yes, Commissioner Goodell. Brandon Scherf. So as you most certainly know, Brandon Sheriff is set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. Unless, of course, Washington tags him again. God help us if that happens. Uh, Brandon Sheriff played the 2021 season under the terms of a second consecutive non-exclusive franchise tag tender. His 2021 salary was $18.036 million. Sheriff played the 2020 season under the terms of a non-exclusive franchise tag tender of $15.03 million. Any player franchise tagged 
for a second consecutive year gets a 20% raise. So Washington in March 2021 franchise tagging share for a second straight year gave him that guaranteed 2021 salary of $18.036 million. The NFL ridiculously includes both tackles and guards under the same tag numbers for offensive linemen. That needs to change. Anyway, tagging Sheriff for a third consecutive year would be insanity. That's not happening, nor to me is Washington re-signing Sheriff. Uh, This is Kirk Cousins all over again. Washington last offseason franchise tagging Brandon Sheriff for a second consecutive year disincentivized him from agreeing on a long-term deal because signing that franchise tag tender guaranteed him the $18 And Washington last offseason franchise tagging Sheriff for a second consecutive year increased the likelihood of Sheriff becoming an unrestricted free agent after the 2021 season and thus leaving Washington because once you hit the open market as an unrestricted free agent, you're always more likely to leave. Washington has botched the Sheriff situation just like Washington botched the Kirk situation. And it's not so much about Washington should have already resigned Brandon Sheriff. It's more about Washington should have traded Brandon Sheriff. Brandon Sheriff is an asset and Washington is on the verge of losing him for next to nothing. And it might say, well, Washington will get a compensatory draft pick, you know, say a third round pick. Well, that's not a guarantee. Compensatory picks depend on not only who you lose, but who you sign. So if Washington signs a prominent free agent or two, the potential compensatory draft pick for losing Brandon Sheriff in free agency can be negated. Now, do you remember a key moment in the Kirk Cousins contract saga? A key moment in, as I called it, the Kirk Cousins cha-cha-cha. Yes, the cha-cha-cha. A key moment was Bruce Allen in July 2017, shockingly and bizarrely, detailing the long-term contract offer that Washington had given Kirk that he turned down. Well, this was Martin Mayhew on Tuesday afternoon on the Brandon Sheriff contract situation. Yeah, well, Brandon is an outstanding player. Um, Seven years here, five Pro Bowls. I mean, you can't replace that kind of production. Um, Very, very respected in the locker room. And um, it's been great getting to know him. It's my first year here being around him and seeing his work ethic. Um, But I think our fans should know um, we've made every effort to get something done. We've continued to work on that. Last year, we made an offer to be the highest paid offensive guard in the history of the National Football League. Um, And we'll keep that dialogue going and we'll see where things go. All right, so Martin Mayhew was very complimentary of Brandon Sheriff, but Mayhew then made it very clear that, quote, we've made every effort to get something done. We've continued to work on that. Last year, we made him an offer to be the highest paid offensive guard in the history of the National Football League, and we'll keep that dialogue going and see where things go, end quote. Martin Mayhew, who says nothing, whenever he speaks publicly, which isn't often, said a whole lot about the Brandon Sheriff situation. That was a calculated, deliberate reveal. Again, Mayhew, who says nothing on the rare occasions on which he does speak publicly, saying something as direct as that? Come on. That was totally something that he wanted to say, that he wanted to put out there. We made Brandon Sheriff an offer to be the highest paid guard in the history of the NFL, and he turned us down. Now, put aside whether Mayhew should have said that. That he said that says a whole lot. That was an attempt 
as is said in the pro wrestling business, to babyface Washington. That was an attempt to make Washington the good guy, the babyface, and to make Brandon Sheriff the heel, the bad guy. That was an attempt to make Brandon Sheriff look greedy, just like Bruce Allen tried to make Kirk Cousins look greedy. And that that attempt to make Sheriff look greedy was made tells you all that you need to know about the state of negotiations between Washington and Sheriff. Those negotiations are going nowhere. Washington botched the situation by franchise tagging Sheriff in back-to-back years, significantly reduced the team's leverage, is predictably getting nowhere in negotiations, and now is painting Sheriff as being greedy. Does all of this sound familiar? This is exactly what happened with Kirk. Yes, this is exactly what happened in the cha-cha-cha. Now, here's the big difference. I'm fine with Washington not signing Brandon Sheriff to a long-term big-money contract. I was not fine with Washington not signing Kirk Cousins to a long-term contract, but I am fine with Washington not signing Sheriff to a long-term contract, and that mostly has to do with Sheriff's injury history. He is constantly hurt. He's good. He's very good. In fact, Brandon Sheriff finished the 2021 regular season number one among all qualified guards in the NFL in ESPN's run block win rate at 77%. But Sheriff in the 2021 regular season missed six games. He now, over the last four regular seasons, 2018 through 2021, has missed a total of 22 games. So Sheriff, over a four-season stretch, has played in just 43 of a possible 65 regular season games. Sheriff in the 2021 regular season missed four games due to a knee injury, what was a reported sprained MCL that was suffered in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. He then missed two games due to being on the reserve COVID-19 list from December 20th to December 27th. I'm sorry, I'm not paying big money to a guy who is unavailable as frequently as Sheriff is unavailable. Again, he has missed 22 of a possible 65 regular season games over the last four seasons. And there's also this, Brandon Sheriff has had a penalty problem. Sheriff in the 2021 regular season committed five accepted penalties and six total penalties. He committed three false start penalties and three holding penalties. The only Washington player in the 2021 regular season who committed more penalties than Sheriff committed was William Jackson III, who committed seven accepted penalties and eight total penalties. Sheriff in the 2019 regular season committed eight accepted penalties and nine total penalties. All eight accepted penalties, bizarrely, were first half penalties. Five of them were first half holding penalties. He is a very good guard and he seems to be a good dude. But he wants elite-level money, and I'm not giving him that. And I don't blame Washington for not giving him that. And it sounds like Washington, at the very least, is resigned to that, given how Martin Mayhew was talking on Tuesday. Well, for the first time in more than two months, the Wizards have a three-game winning streak. It's nice to be able to say that. Uh, the Wizards improved to 22-20 and with a 112-106 win over the Orlando Magic at Capital One Arena on Wednesday night. This win gives the Wizards a three-game winning streak for the first time since a five-game winning streak from November 5th through November 15th. Now look, a three-game winning streak is nothing special, but the Wizards have been scuffling for the most part since the hot start to the season. 
Uh, Orlando is terrible. Okay, that is true. The Magic with this loss at the Wizards on Wednesday night fell to an NBA worst 7-35 and this season. But remember, the Wizards had barely beaten the Magic just a few days ago. Uh, the Wizards on Sunday night had to overcome an 8-point fourth quarter deficit to win at the Magic 102-100. But the Wizards on Wednesday night never trailed in the game. The Wizards won the first quarter 33-16. And in the second quarter, led by 20 points, uh, the Wizards in the fourth quarter did see their lead get cut to five points multiple times, but that was as close as the Magic got in the second half. And the Wizards were again without Bradley Beal. Uh, He did not play for a second consecutive game due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. But the Wizards did finally have Thomas Bryant. He played in a game for the first time since suffering a partially torn left ACL More than a year ago, Thomas Bryan suffered that partially torn left ACL on January 9th, 2021. He, on Wednesday night, was back. Uh, He played for 11 minutes, 30 seconds off the bench, went one of one on threes, one of one on twos, scored six points. Not much to chew on, but very nice to have Thomas Bryan back. Here was head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on how Thomas Bryant looked. It looked good. Um, you know, I know it's it's tough with you know your minutes are somewhat segmented. Um, so you don't get that long stretch, but um just to have him out there, you know, in, in a live game, just getting a feel for it, getting back to that rhythm. Uh things good for him. And I uh, I'd like to see uh both him and Rui get more of it, you know, as as we go. But we'll have to go uh, upon the advice of the medical and, and see where they are. But um I was pleased with where you know how he performed and, and where he is right now. Yeah, so the Wizards, of course, have played so much of this season without both Thomas Bryan and Rui Hachimura. Both guys now are back, uh, although Rui still is getting going. Uh, he, on Wednesday night, went just 1-5 from the field, including 0-2 on threes and 12-27 off the bench. But you finally are getting your pieces back, and hopefully Bradley Beal will be back soon uh, from being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. But here was West Jr. on Wednesday night on whether he has a plan for who plays with who now that the Wizards are close to full strength for the first time this season? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Um, you know, we all have plans, <laughs> but it's just tough when, you know, you don't have a ton of practice time just to really get a detailed look at it, you know, to try different combinations. Because uh, when you're trying it, it matters. And, of course, we have to kind of wait, find a way to get those guys back and get them, get them up to speed. But, um you know, trying to pick and choose and get the, the right pairings is, is tough in, in this environment. Uh, so it, it's going to be a work in progress. And, you know, it's it's easy to say, hey, we got it on paper. But, you know, it's very fluid throughout the game. Yeah, well, the Wizards on Wednesday night played well. Uh, there really weren't too many nits to pick. Uh, the Wizards did have just six offensive rebounds to the Magic's 18. But a lot of that was a function of the Magic missing so many shots. The Wizards held the Magic to just 11 of 35 on threes and just 30 of 64 on twos. The Wizards did struggle on threes, just 10 of 31, but the Wiz also went 33 of 51 on twos. We on Wednesday night had another good game for Kyle Kuzma, who fell one assist shy of a triple-double. Kuzma went two of three on threes, five of eight on twos. He finished with 19 points, 10 rebounds, and nine assists versus five turnovers in 35-12 as a starter. Spencer Dinwiddie went just one of five on threes, but also five of nine on twos. He finished with 17 points, four assists, versus no turnovers, two steals, and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 12 in 
as a starter. And I mentioned Dinwiddie having the four assists versus no turnovers. So Dinwiddie now, over his last three games, 24 assists versus no turnovers. <laughs> that is tremendous. Uh, we did not have a fight between Montrez Harrell and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope on Wednesday night. That's good. At least as far as we know, we didn't have a fight between those two. Uh, those two, as you'll recall, per NBA insider Sham Sharania of The Athletic, got into a fight at the half of Tuesday night's game, the Wizards' 122-118 win over the Oklahoma City Thunder at Capital One Arena. KCP on Wednesday night, 3-7 on threes, 1-4 on twos, finished with 12 points, 10 rebounds, and 4 assists versus one turnover in 30-45 as a starter. Montrez Harrell in 20-33 off the bench, 6-8 of eight from the field, all twos, finished with 16 points and 8 rebounds. Also good off the bench was Haul Neto. He in 20-42 off the bench, 0-4 on threes, but 7-10 on twos, finished with 15 points. Davies Bertans did go 0-3 on threes in 1235 off the bench, but the Wizards won. Three consecutive wins now off the Wizards having gone just 9-17 and since their 10-3 and start to the season. Next up for the Wiz, home to the Portland Trailblazers, Saturday night at 7. Well, it wasn't easy, but the first Big Ten win of the season for Maryland finally has happened. Uh, Maryland improved to 9-7 and seven overall and 1-4 and four in the Big Ten with a 94-87 double overtime win at Northwestern on Wednesday night. This was some game. The Terrapins blew a 72-66 lead with less than 20 seconds left in the second half. Yeah, the Terps led by six points with less than 20 seconds left in regulation, but blew that lead. The Terps gave up a deep three to Pete Nance with 14.5 seconds left off an inbounds pass with 17.5 seconds left. Then saw Hakeem Hart commit a turnover that led to Robbie Barron making two free throws off taking an elbow from Dante Scott, and then saw Nance make one of two free throws with 11.2 seconds left. Eric Ayala missed a deep contested three from the left wing as time expired in the second half. Then in the first overtime, the Terps had to overcome an 83-80 deficit with less than a minute left. But Fats Russell came through. Fats Russell connected on an and one driving bucket in the paint with 34.3 seconds left, then made the game-tying free throw, and then the Terps won the second overtime 11-4. Like I said, this was some game. This would have been a brutal loss had the game resulted in a Maryland loss. Again, the Terps were up by six points with less than 20 seconds left in regulation. Terps should have won the game in regulation. Terps, in a lot of ways, blew the game at the free throw line. Terps went just 24 of 38 on free throws. Northwestern went 14 of 18 on free throws. So Maryland had 20 more free throw attempts than Northwestern had and yet scored just 10 more points than Northwestern did on free throws. Uh, the Terps went just 10 of 31 on threes but held Northwestern to 7 of 28 on threes and 26 of 56 on twos. And the Terps got major production from four key players. Eric Ayala, Fats Russell, Hakeem Hart, and Dante Scott. Eric Ayala went 5 of 11 on threes. Now, he did go just 2 of 7 on twos, did go just 7 of 11 on free throws, but 5 of 11 on threes, he finished with 26 points and 11 rebounds in 48 minutes as a starter. Interim head coach Danny Manning during his post-game press conference on Eric Ayala. Um, you know, Eric is one of the older players on our team, and tonight he has his first double-double of his career. 
You know, he's made some shots for us recently, shooting the ball very well from three. I think coming into this game, he was around 50% from three, made some big shots for us, got to the free throw line, um, 11 rebounds. Um, that was huge for us, especially because we were in foul trouble a good portion of the night. And so for him to have a double-double, um, outstanding. You know, Fats has 20, 23 and seven. So our two guards really did a great job of facilitating rebounding the basketball, scoring the basketball. And, um, you know, they're older, they're, they're veteran guards. And we're very thankful to have them, especially in situations like this on the road. Yeah, and Fats Russell was huge on Wednesday night. The Rhode Island transfer, the Maryland point guard, he went two of six on threes, four of eight on twos, nine of 11 on free throws, finished with 23 points, seven assists versus two turnovers and five rebounds in 41 minutes as a starter. Fats Russell made a number of big plays after halftime. The two biggest keys right now for Maryland are Eric Ayala and Fats Russell. Maryland's two guards are doing a lot of good things right now and are really helping to keep this Maryland season afloat. Uh, But like I said, Hakeem Hart and Dante Scott were productive on Wednesday night as well. Now, Hakeem Hart went just one of five on threes and three of five on free throws, but he also went six to seven on twos, finished with 18 points, eight rebounds, and two steals in 48 minutes as a starter. Dante Scott went just two of seven on threes and three of five on free throws, but he also went four of five on twos, finished with 17 points, six rebounds, including three offensive boards and four assists versus one turnover in just 31 minutes as a starter before fouling out. So the Terps got the win, and the Terps needed this win because 0-5 in the Big Ten would have been brutal. But this victory came off controversy. Maryland on Wednesday night announced that assistant coach Bruce Shingler has been suspended for undisclosed reasons. Quote, Maryland men's basketball assistant coach Bruce Shingler has been suspended for 30 days for a violation of his employment agreement Maryland Athletics will have no further comment at this time, end quote. And Danny Manning, during his postgame press conference, had no further comment. Uh, We don't know what this Bruce Shingler thing is about. Bruce Shingler is in his first year on Maryland's coaching staff. He was hired by former head coach Mark Turgeon this past June to fill the vacancy created by the departure of Bino Ranson for DePaul. Bruce Shingler came to Maryland from South Carolina. He was a part of that South Carolina coaching staff that led the Gamecocks to the Final Four in 2017. But now, a Maryland basketball season that featured the stunning resignation of Turgeon uh, includes a key assistant getting suspended by the school for 30 days. This season has been a mess for Maryland in a lot of ways. But like I said, the Terps finally have a conference win. Uh, Next up for the Terps, home to Rutgers Saturday afternoon at two. Meantime, we on Wednesday night had another chapter in the Commonwealth clash, Virginia versus Virginia Tech. Uh, This game, like Maryland's double overtime win at Northwestern, uh, not pretty, uh, but the game was close. The game was competitive. Uh, Virginia improved to 10-6 and overall, 4-2 and in the ACC with a 54-52 win over Virginia Tech at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville. The Hokies fell to 8-7 and overall and 0-4 in the ACC. Yet Tech is still winless in conference play. Uh, the Cavaliers' defense delivered in this game. I mean, the game was not pretty, okay? The game was not a work of art, uh, but most games in college basketball right now are not pretty and are not works of art. Uh, but the Cavaliers' defense was impressive. The Cavs held the Hokies scoreless over the final three minutes, 15 seconds of the game. The Cavs held the Hokies in the first half to just 23 points on three of 11 on threes 
and 6-13 on twos. The Cavs in the second half allowed the Hokies to go 4-8 of eight on threes, but also held the Hokies to 8-18 of 18 on twos, and the Cavs defended without fouling. The Hokies for the game went 3-3 of three on free throws. Yeah, Tech for the game totaled three free throw attempts. The Cavs for the game, 11-16 of 16 on free throws. Now, the Wahoos offense continues to be an issue. The Hoos won despite going just 3-13 of 13 on threes and just 17-37 of 37 on twos. But the Hoos got stunning production from Francisco Cafaro. The star of the game for Virginia was the 7-1 big man, Francisco Cafaro. He is from Argentina. He's not the first UVA player of whom you think, but he was really good on Wednesday night. Cafaro in 30 minutes, 31 seconds off the bench, went 5-7 from the field, all twos, and had 16 points and nine rebounds, including five offensive boards. He did go to 6-10 on free throws, but he was a big part of Virginia's defense. The Hokies were led by Keve Aluma. He scored 22 of Tech's 52 points, had six rebounds, three assists versus three turnovers, but he went just one of three on threes, eight of 17 on twos, and Aluma committed a traveling violation for a turnover with UVA nursing a one-point lead at 53-52 with 14.2 seconds left in the second half, and a big part of Aluma committing that traveling violation was the defense of Francisco Cafaro. Next up for Virginia, home to Wake Forest this Saturday afternoon at 4.30. Next for Virginia Tech, home to Notre Dame Saturday evening at 6. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 229, will feature a very special guest talking about the Washington football team, Kevin Sheehan, the host of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast, the host of the Kevin Sheehan Show on the Team 980. He's a good friend. I always enjoy talking Washington football with Kevin. So, Kevin Sheehan will be on Friday's show. Also on Friday's show, I'll talk Georgetown basketball. The Hoyas will host Butler Thursday night at 7, although the Hoyas will host Butler without their head coach, Patrick Ewing. Uh, Georgetown on Wednesday announced that Patrick will be unavailable for Thursday night's game against Butler, quote, in accordance with D.C. Department of Health guidelines, end quote. So hope that Patrick is doing okay. Uh, Assistant coach Louis Orr will serve as the Hoyas acting head coach starting with the Butler game. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday.